0: Global. My name is Javier Mendoza, co-founder and vice president. I am here with Travis Moffat, co-founder and president. Travis, how are you doing today? Javier, I am doing
1: great. a uh, fantastic morning, and uh, got a great rest of the day planned, and uh, so doing fantastic here.
0: How are you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you very much for asking. I enjoy uh, having these conversations, and enjoy kind of getting a little bit of uh, kind of what the behind the scenes maybe uh, of Connect Global see the why and the how of what we're doing uh described into uh you know audio form and and getting people a chance to listen in on some of the conversations that we're having all the time uh in in regards to how the ministry is running and and what we're doing and some of the projects and things we've got going on uh you know last week was uh international women's day was thursday and you know so we talked a lot about uh, empowering women and, and providing care for women and some of the projects and and some of the things that we've got going on, the ongoing uh, you know solutions that we've found in Honduras through education and through uh, some of the medical communities there and and things like that. so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, but I wanted to also mention that Travis this week you noticed uh, some pretty interesting and, and positive information that uh, has just been released uh, some updated reporting and updated, statistics there in Latin America and specifically uh, some good news for Honduras and so I wanted to start off there and maybe you can describe a little bit about what it is that you came across this week and how that kind of fits into uh, what we've got going on in Honduras.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you know and many of our listeners know, we've worked in the nation of Honduras now for about 14 years and we just have a great love for Latin America and specifically Honduras. So there's an organization uh, from Mexico called the Citizens Council for Public Security. This is a nonprofit organization that reports on things related to uh, security issues, peace issues, and sort of the opposite side of that coin being the violence issues that many people have heard in the news and reported uh, in Latin America, in the various different countries. That has been an important dynamic for us and the work that we're doing in Honduras because of where Honduras specifically usually falls on this scale. So this organization produces a report every year of the 50 most violent countries in the world, and basically they are looking at violent crime and specifically homicide rates as it relates to um, the population. So they look at cities over 300,000 people and then look at the number of homicides in one one year time period in that populace and then create from that a per capita homicide rate based on how many homicides per 100,000 citizens. Not an exciting report, obviously, but an important measurable in uh, the progress of peace work whether that's from a faith-based standpoint, an organization like Connect Global, or that, you know, how the police are doing and how the the government infrastructure and things like that are doing. So here's why this was exciting for us. The two biggest cities in Honduras would be the capital, Tegucigalpa, which is about 1.2 million people. And then the second city, San Pedro Sula, which is a little over 700,000 people. For the last several years, uh, San Pedro Sula specifically has typically been in the top three of the most dangerous cities in the world, in the entire world. Uh, and San Francisco has always been right up there with it. So in 2016, for example, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, San Pedro Sula was like number three in the world uh, as far as a per capita homicide rate and Tegucigalpa was like number five or six. So, so right there in the, in the top categories. In 2017, and this is the good news, this is what we were very excited about. In 2017, the report that came out just earlier this month, uh, San Pedro Sula had dropped down to the number 26 position, from number three to 26. And Tegucigalpa had dropped from like fifth or sixth down to the 35th. Uh, position, and what was good about that is not only, or it wasn't just that other cities had just excelled them in uh, in homicide rates, um, and that pushed them down, but that the homicide rates in those cities had actually decreased. And what was amazing is that they had decreased by about fifty percent. So when you look at San Pedro Sula specifically, San Pedro Sula is a city has been referred to as the murder capital of the world. Um, It it has had some some pretty difficult challenges in regards to homicide rates. So in 2016, their homicide rate was about 111, 112 uh, homicides per 100,000 people. In 2017, that had dropped to 51. Now, while that's still a very high number, to see one city uh, cut their homicide rates in half uh, is just tremendous. That is just fantastic news for the city of San Pedro Sula. And then San was a similar uh, decrease. Their their homicide rates were already a little bit less. They were in the 80s, in uh, like in the 80s uh, per 100,000 citizens, and had dropped uh, down to the upper 40s, uh, like 47, 48, something like that per 100,000 citizens in 2017 so it was very encouraging to see uh, the big decrease and and while we long for the day that there's no city in Honduras on this report at all and really no city in the world that has to deal with this kind of pervasive violence um, we were just very encouraged to see such significant decreases in these two main cities uh, there in Honduras so we just really wanted to applaud the efforts of the Honduran government, we know um, from just being there, being in the community, uh, watching the news, uh, communication with friends and, and partners and coworkers who are a part of governmental organizations there in the country, that there's been a lot of crackdown in the last uh, year or two on governmental corruption and corruption even at the police level and various different levels within uh, the government. As well, we want to just applaud the churches, the missionaries, the missions organizations, uh, the humanitarian organizations, the business owners, those people who, uh, whether from the United States or from Honduras, who are in their own community working to bring about peace within their community and fight against uh, uh, violent crime in the community. We see in reports like this that those efforts are starting to pay off as well. They're starting to produce some very positive results. And, you know, we talk about uh, the violence. We don't hide from that issue of of the violence in Latin America and in Honduras specifically, but we really wanted to take some time and just applaud the hard work of of people who are going into Honduras to produce some great results. Uh, And it's just very, very encouraging to see these uh type of reports uh coming back out of, of the nation please keep honduras and latin america in your prayers you know if you're listening to this uh we we, we want to encourage that this is a time to even up our vigilance in prayer and in effort and at work um, throughout all of latin america you know the unfortunate side of this report or one of the, the, the burdensome side of this report for us was that. Violence in other parts of Latin America, specifically in Mexico, has increased. Um, Not in even one particular city, but kind of spread out uh, uh, across the nation. And so we definitely want to continue vigilantly praying and working throughout Latin America. Uh, But we definitely wanted to take a moment and just really celebrate the efforts and applaud the efforts of, of the national government, the police, the churches, the businesses, the missionaries, you know, everybody there in Honduras really trying to make Honduras a more peaceful place and it looks like uh, we're starting to see some some great positive results.
0: Yeah, that's really amazing. I uh, saw the report this week and was pretty excited about it. I know some of our partners and friends from Honduras, uh, specifically in La Ceiba, some pastors were sharing that news and are very proud of uh, the advancements and uh, and very proud of sort of the increase in safety and, and, and sort of moving the needle. Uh, and so they were sharing that out this week as well. So I'm really glad to see that and, and happy to, uh, like you said, you know, we're just a part of what God's already doing in this place. And so to us, we're just, you know, kind of count that as, as a blessing to be able to be a part of, uh, you know, moving the needle forward and moving, uh, the country into a a better, safer place. Um, and so talking a little bit about the, uh, you know, the impact that, you know, connect global is having and, and the desire for us in you know, aligning ourselves with that reduction in crime and uh, really our, our overarching desire to increase opportunity there, uh, let's jump over and I'm going to uh, let us listen to a conversation that I had with Danielle Mendoza, our other co-founder, uh, just a little while ago, and we will listen to some of the opportunities that we've got going on right now in Honduras where we are empowering women and providing care for uh, some of the most vulnerable citizens there in Honduras. Okay, so we have here today Danielle Mendoza, co-founder of Connect Global. Danielle, how are you doing today? I'm
2: doing great. Good morning. It's good to be here
0: with you. All right. It's good to hear you. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the work that we have done together uh, in Honduras. You know, last Thursday was International Women's Day. And so we highlighted a couple of different stories through Connect Global that we are working on uh, different projects and things going on in Honduras. Now, while you and I and our daughter Sage lived in Honduras, there were a few women, uh, that we met. Um, one of which is Tesla, one of our good friends, uh, that we met in 2015. Uh, she was at that time, the director of the children's, uh, foundation for kids with cancer. Um, and so she was a, uh, one of the people that we met while we were volunteering at the hospital, uh, pretty much almost on a daily basis. And she helped introduce us to a few different of the projects that we're working on now. Um, but I wanted you to describe some of the experiences or at least just kind of tell everyone a little bit about Tesla and some of the interactions that we had uh, when we first met uh, in 2015.
2: Yeah, so whenever we first moved to La Ceiba, obviously we went in knowing a handful of people just from our travels over the last 12 years there um, to Honduras specifically, but because we had done primarily most of our work in the village of Kasuna, we had a great opportunity to get to know a lot of people from the La Ceiba area and put down roots. And one of those one of the first people we met there that we were just extremely impressed with was Tesla. Um, she, she was just a woman that knew her business. She knew what she was doing for the kids with cancer um, from a medical standpoint. But the thing that really stuck out was that she just had the heart and the compassion to go with it. Um, You could tell for her it wasn't just a job, it wasn't just something she did for a paycheck. She truly was emotionally invested in the children that she was caring for and also for their parents. And so that was something that really stuck out to us is she, she took her role very seriously and she did everything in her power to make a really tough situation a little bit better and to ease some of the suffering in every way that she could by giving um, comfort and peace and just being there for the mothers as they watch their babies in pain and take the treatments. And so that just really was impactful to us because we saw her day in, day out showing up caring for the families, going above and beyond, putting in the hours that you know she wouldn't be getting paid for, and that was never her concern. Her concern was the well-being of the patients and the families. because um, unfortunately, with something like cancer, especially for a child, it doesn't just affect that, that child, it affects the whole family. And so just seeing her care for the whole nucleus of the family, was just something that you know stood out and we knew immediately that she was someone that we wanted to partner with because she was so well connected in the community and we we shared the same common goals um, to to go beyond just the physical but to also provide um the compassion and the emotional care as well
0: yeah i definitely uh, appreciate that uh because i know that She was uh, one of the first people that we met, one of the first people that we really, truly connected to uh, in Honduras and have stayed connected to uh, these past few years. Um, But she, what struck me about it is kind of similar to what you're saying. You know, she had a really, she did a really great job of being able to uh, go between the very compassionate, full-on, you know, she's spiritually caring for the children that, that came through her office, but then also was able to switch to a very sort of uh, logical response of fundraising and, uh, you know, running the administration of the foundation and doing everything that needed to happen to actually make the business run. Um, I, I believe that she was definitely the best asset that that foundation had at the time and she really, really helped put La Ceiba uh, Clinic on the map for the uh, National Foundation for Kids with Cancer. And she really did an amazing job fundraising. You know, one of the events that we were involved in that she had helped uh, put together was the Color Run, which is a 5K, the first one in the city. And she did an amazing job fundraising for it and establishing herself there in the community, which was really amazing to see. And so I think that's a testament to not only her as a person, as, as you know, her specifically, but I believe uh, women definitely have a unique knack for multitasking and just getting the job done and getting everything uh, complete. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. Um, You know, like I said, as we were talking about International Women's Day last week, um, there was another uh, project that came up uh, on our radar. It was actually introduced to us by uh, the pastors of the church, CCI Church, which is the church that we were going to uh, and have stayed partnered with uh, there in La Ceiba. Pastor Alan and Pastor Miguel found out, about a woman in a nearby town named Maria. Now, Maria was unknown to us before this, um, but our national director, Jorge, uh, was able to meet uh, this family, her and her children, and find out that she was living in a very basic, uh, sort of, you know, about to fall down, sort of uh, wood home, stick home, you know, it's kind of somewhat typical of some of the neighboring, sort of uh, more poor towns in Honduras. Uh, to have houses that are just sort of made of materials that were found or, uh, you know, brought, uh, donated maybe, or something that uh, are just kind of put together. Uh, And so what they determined is that she would benefit greatly uh, from a concrete home. And so as the pastors of the church decided that their community outreach arm would start to gather supplies and get concrete and bricks and uh different materials that they would need to reinforce this home Jorge found out about it and told us and we were immediately uh joining the the team and making sure that we could be a part of this and so since then what we've done is we've built uh, you know into the budget we've gotten uh, a few dollars together to be able to put a concrete home together for Maria now Maria is a single mom Uh, she was recently hospitalized um, but she is now still raising, you know, her kids on her own. As uh, many of the women in Honduras, uh, she has been abandoned by her husband uh, and to left to sort of raise her family on her own. Um, and so I want you, Danielle, if you can, just talk a little bit about sort of that premise. You know, the, the women in Honduras already have a very hard job. Uh, you know, they're running the family, they're running businesses. Um, you know, they they have little to no education. Um, And yet they're very strong, resilient, um, you know, attributes still come through. Um, When you see Maria, you know, there's pictures on our our Facebook and on our website, which we'll share out again today. Um, You know, just the smile that she has on her face, you can tell she is a strong and courageous person, um, but she's doing everything that she can to take care of her family. And so, Danielle, if you can talk a little bit about what we've witnessed in that country of you know, how the women are sometimes treated, but then what we've seen uh, in some of the strong women there that are uh, advancing and, and helping their country truly become a better nation.
2: Yeah, so, well, just to circle back to you mentioning Jorge, I don't know if the listeners know exactly who that is, but he's our national director for Connect Global in Honduras, Um, and so I just wanted to point that out in case that was lost in translation of who he was and he obviously goes around and he's very connected he's from Honduras and he he has lived there most of his life and so he is someone we rely on to help find these type of projects and then also through um, CCI which is which was our home church while we were living there Um, so I just wanted to kind of clarify who he was but um, so the story for Maria is the same for a lot of women there. Um, obviously, in every country, there can be a dynamic of abandonment or a father that chooses not to care for his children or doesn't continue to to be the pillar of their home. Um, and that can happen in this country. That can happen in that country. But the difference is there. Um, there's not. There's not a judicial system set up that requires a father to continue to financially care for his child. Um, and so essentially, if they just decide that they're done doing that and they don't want to provide their resources anymore to take care of their wife and children, then that's essentially all it is is a decision and they move on. And you know, then you, you have a single mother that's not gaining even the financial support from her spouse. And I think the concept is sometimes hard for Americans to understand because in this country we can we can kind of choose to to have the wealth that we desire. There's a lot of opportunity here, and if you just work hard, you put your nose to the grind, and you just get it done. You can really um, dictate the level of income that you have. You know, there's plenty of education. There's plenty of scholarships. And if you are a person that's willing to put in the work, then you will often find a job that will compensate you in the way of providing enough for you to take care of your family um, with food and shelter. And sadly in Honduras, that's just not always the case. Um, While we were there specifically in 2015, I, I can't even count the number of women we met that were working bell to bell 12 hour days um, and we, we would find out that their income was less than $300 a month. And when when you tell someone that back home, sometimes they say, well, that the cost of living is different there. And the perception is that the cost of living is less expensive. Um, but that's actually a myth. The cost of living isn't less expensive in Honduras. Um, we quickly found out that Electricity costs triple what it costs here in the United States. Um, gas is on average a dollar fifty more per gallon in Honduras than it is here in the United States. Um, something as simple as a bag of almonds would cost twenty dollars there, and here it's about seven on average. So I think that they have a lot of things stacked against them. Um, but the thing that that your point was is that even with all of those odds and even with working um, 12-hour days and not giving up and being receiving such little pay that is very very difficult to live on for one person much less to support a whole family um, the women in Honduras just have this this grit about them that they're not going to give up that they're gonna they're gonna be there for their families they're gonna be the source of strength and provision because they really don't have a choice but the, the thing that was unique about a lot of the women there is that they don't walk around um, downtrodden and discouraged and with an outlook like life is bleak. They, they walk around like they are privileged to have the job that they have, to have the family that they have and that they're just not going to give up and so for Someone like Maria, um, living in a structure that you know no one would really in this country want to call a home, um, to be then given a concrete home and to be right alongside the men working to rebuild it, and you know making food for them and taking care of them while they do something tangible for her is just—it's just amazing because every person deserves to have a safe living environment and unfortunately that's just not the case there um and so you know we can't solve every problem but we we can start with one at a time and we get involved where we can and these are deserving people that work hard um to provide for their family just like we all here work hard to provide for our families and we just want to continue to to raise those people up who are putting in the time in the community who are pouring into their families and just giving them some hope, um, just like we would hope someone would do for us if we were in a time of need.
0: Yeah, that's really great, Danielle. And, you know, Maria uh, is just one example of a mom in Honduras who's working hard, who's, you know, confident and strong and courageous and doing what she needs to do to take care of her family, and just one example of a mom who we have observed and have chosen Uh, To help and come alongside and and provide something tangible for but at the hospital the regional hospital there in atlantida uh, We also were able to witness uh, Moms coming in and out of that hospital that that is one of the busiest hospitals in the country So they're giving birth uh, to you know 10 to 12 sometimes uh, mom, you know babies every day uh, in that hospital and so what we observed there uh, was also uh, kind of a tragedy where some of these moms they come in uh, maybe a day or two before you know uh, the time to give birth. Um, the neonatal system there is set up pretty well um, you know for a developing country and for, a, for an area like that, they've got uh, pretty good nursing staff and they, they take care of the children pretty well. And even some of the kids who, who have uh, you know problems at birth or during birth, Uh, They're able to handle quite a bit. Um, But what they have not yet been able to find a space for is the moms either right before delivery or directly post delivery uh, to rest and recover uh, as they have just given birth. And so what we observed, uh, Danielle, uh, on our trips to the hospital are women uh, moms from really all ages uh, but just lining that corridor, lining that hallway uh, with makeshift mats, maybe a blanket uh, every once in a while, but they will actually sleep out there in the hallways uh, while their children are being cared for in the uh, neonatal uh, units there and they will sleep there, they'll eat there, they will you know, wait to be called in to come and nurse or, or come and, and receive their babies. And so when you and I saw that, um, I know that that struck a real chord with you and, and how Uh, you know the moms are are left to sort of defend and fend for themselves there in the hallways Um, can you describe a little bit about the feeling that we had as we walked through there and then I will quickly also share uh, and kind of repeat for some of the people who've heard it before but we're working on a a pretty large size project there to address this issue Um, but if you could just talk a little bit about that uh, real quickly.
2: Yeah so um, when we started going to the hospital every day after moving to La Ceiba to work with the um, foundation for kids with cancer with Tesla. Um, as we were getting to to the clinic where she was in the back with the cancer foundation, we were often passing um, women lining the hallways, the open air hallways on the floor. And I asked, I had asked Tesla you know, hey, why are these women on the floor? What's going on? Are they okay? And she explained to me that they had delivered children, that they had just had babies, and that unfortunately um, there is not a space for them postpartum after they deliver their babies. And so while they do have um, sufficient beds for the infants that still are requiring care, in the hospital, they do not have the number of beds that they need for the mothers and their recovery. And I was, you know, obviously I was very saddened by that um, after having my own child in a very comfortable U.S. hospital and still having the strong desire to get home to a much more comfortable space. I I just couldn't imagine having delivered and then being told to go lay outside on the floor because there was no space for me. And so as we were going every day and just witnessing this, um, it just became a greater conversation with the hospital about, you know, do you guys have the land? Can we, is there a space where that could be created where we can um, put some beds and take care of these women and get them the the proper um, housing that they would need? postpartum after delivering because obviously your body has just gone through um you know some trauma delivering and it is wonderfully made so it it will heal itself in most cases but you do have to have proper rest and proper environment and obviously laying on a tile floor in an open air hallway is not going to be um conducive for a quick and healthy recovery especially because then you're being exposed to not only the elements but you're also being exposed to um, just germs and in an unclean environment and so that kind of started the conversation with okay what is happening what's the problem and what's the solution and that's when um, we started trying to scout the area for a place to build a maternity home for these women uh, for the time period that they would need to continue to be in the hospital after delivering their babies. A lot of times the moms would be okay and clear to go home, so to speak, but because they are malnourished, the mothers, then often when the babies are born, the babies are malnourished. And so it can be several days and in some cases, several weeks before the babies are released into, the mother's care from the hospital until they can get them to the right weight. And so, obviously, as any mother here wouldn't want to leave her child, those mothers don't want to leave theirs, and so they end up sleeping outside the hospital um, in the hallways that we've described.
0: Yeah, and so to us, you know, it's an amazing opportunity that we have that we kind of came into. You know, we observed those, those women, as you described, uh, sleeping and just waiting and and even eating their meals out in that hallway, um, but to us we looked at it as an opportunity. You know, sometimes we we see things and we observe tragedies or we observe things that you know just don't make even any logical sense, emotional sense, and we just kind of turn an eye and we just say, wow, how horrible that is or how terrible that is. Um, but it was an amazing opportunity for us because the hospital had already been given. Construction plans uh, in a previous uh, brigade that was there. They had drawn up, uh, you know, the architectural plans and they had a space that they had kind of designated that sometime in the future maybe would be great to use for this uh, maternity home. And so we just were there at the right time, you know, we were there and we said yes, um, you know, which I think is a huge, huge uh, thing to do, you know, when we see something that that we want to help with and want to be a part of the solution uh, and we actually say yes and we actually start going down the pathway of hey let's actually fix this problem I think that was a turning point and so what we have experienced since then has been uh, a large amount of our friends and people that we know just coming alongside us and helping us fundraise for this thing we're at the point right now where we are uh getting the last of our permits to do construction there in the city um our lawyer and our our partner uh jorge our national director there is working very hard every day to get that done uh and so we expect to be breaking ground on this 20 bed facility uh very soon Uh, maybe in the next week or so or next couple of weeks uh, we should be breaking ground and starting to uh, build this home for these moms who are going to be coming in every day. Uh, and they're every day in this hospital. It's a very busy hospital. And so every day we're going to have opportunity to meet new moms and, and meet their children that they're bringing into this earth. Uh, and we're going to be able to house them very soon in a very clean, safe environment Uh, This home is going to be like I said 20 beds It's going to have bathrooms a place to prepare meals clean, you know uh, in a clean manner and you know a safe and secure manner and um, There's going to be security there's going to be a staff of volunteers that are going to be there every day to welcome them in and to Get anything that they need and help you know Just really make that transition for them as smooth and as easy as possible and so to me I think it's really really an amazing time for connect global because As we're building a home for Maria, uh, this mother, you know, who we met just a couple of weeks ago, we're also going to be breaking ground on this maternity home for every new mother that comes through the hospital there in La Ceiba, I think is a pretty amazing thing. And I'm really excited that, you know, even uh, back then when we just first kind of found out about this hospital, uh, you know, even then we were already thinking of what's going to be the long term solution for these moms, you know, and so now we're, we're right on the cusp of being able to provide this solution for them. And I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more happy to be a part of it. Um, And I couldn't really be more happy uh, as a a co-founder of this foundation to be supporting women, you know, being able to provide something for the women of Honduras, as you said, these strong, courageous, you know, they're holding their heads up, you know, very, uh, you know, courageous and strong women that are Creating a new Honduras. You know, we are talking today a little bit about uh, some crime statistics in the country that uh, we got some good news on. That uh, a new report was published and uh, you know updated, and you know the crime has fallen in this country. And I do believe that one of the solutions, the long-term solutions to creating a you know a, a crime reduction and and making Honduras a safer place, is going to be supporting and empowering the moms and the women of Honduras to create a better place. You know, uh, moms, uh, just in general, always are gonna be able to care for their children, care for their their young sons and their young daughters uh, better than anyone else can. And so these moms being empowered and and given every opportunity to create a better environment for their children, I think also goes into creating a better, more safe uh, Honduras. Um, because they will then have more opportunities, they will have more opportunity to focus on their, their relationships and focus on the actual things that matter, not having to worry about sleeping on the floor, not having to worry about if their house is going to cave in or you know, worry about certain other natural things. They'll be able to focus again back on their family, focus on keeping their families together and keeping their families moving forward and that is a really exciting thing to be a part of so i really appreciate it danielle for you talking with us a little bit today and describing some of the things that you and i have been able to witness and and play a part in and so i just really appreciate uh all of our supporters and our partners and friends uh, because of course without them uh, none of this would be able to be done so i just really am grateful for that as well
2: yeah definitely it's it's very exciting that um we get to be a part of something like this. Obviously, having the type of organization that we have is not something that we have done by ourselves. It's taken hundreds of people from all over the United States to believe in what we're doing, to believe in the vision, and um, some send, some go, some pray, some give, and it takes every, every bit of that to make it possible. And so we definitely, um, we do not lose sight of that. We know that this isn't something that we have created on our own. We're just extremely happy and blessed that we get to be a part of it. And um, it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful feeling when people from all over the United States come together and are able to do something like provide a stable home structure for a single mother or to create a maternity home for mothers who have just delivered their babies Um, and so it's just it's just an amazing thing to be a part of and we're very grateful for everyone that has supported us from day one and for all of those that are um, learning about us now it's just it's just been incredible and we're grateful for every person that um, makes this all possible.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your uh, input today on today's episode. And thank you so much for all the work that you do with Connect Global and making this a reality for all of us. And we appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, thanks. Bye, guys. So as Connect Global uh, really tries to align ourselves with, uh, you know, this great vision of creating opportunity in Honduras and, and really empowering Uh, some of their their most vulnerable citizens there, really creating uh, uh, a path forward for them. Uh, We talked a little bit about uh, the home that we're building for Maria, the single mom uh, who we met through our connections there in the city. Um, You know, it's really great to be able to work with uh, our National Director Jorge and and Pastor Allen and Pastor Miguel, as we described, um, and really getting a feel for uh, this community coming together and really rallying around Uh, great causes like that. Um, Also, of course, you heard us describe uh, how we met Tesla and how she has been very instrumental in in meeting, you know, introducing us to some of the needs there in La Ceiba and really connecting us to uh, like the girls homes and some of the other places that we've uh, visited and volunteered on our mission trips there. Um, And then we also talked uh, a little bit about our maternity home project, which, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you have heard us describe this project. Um, but Travis, I wanted you to share a little bit more about the uh, specifics and where we're at on that project, and and where we're, uh, you know, headed with that. And then talk a little bit about us just aligning our uh, mission and values, and and how we kind of fit into sort of this, you know, not only just a reduction in crime, but also the increase in positivity there Um, because as you know we try and highlight as best we can uh, through our broadcasting channels through Facebook and Twitter and our own website and things like that we try and highlight and promote the good that's happening there in Honduras and in the country Um, not just our projects but we hope to also shed light on the other projects and and things that are 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 born out of honduras and and are honduran led um you know things that are happening but we also want to uh, share a little bit about how we're aligned with that so if you could speak to what we've got coming up the maternity home and just really how we're focusing on empowering women specifically but uh also just empowering these most vulnerable citizens here in honduras yeah absolutely you know
1: there's a uh, there's a quote that says That a mother holds their baby's hand for a short time, but holds their heart forever. And in Honduras and around the world, what we really see is that it's uh, it's moms, it's wives, it's the women in our society uh, who care for the most unlovable and lovable of us all. You know, it, at the end of the day, when a, when a new baby comes into the world, it's the mom who's going to be right there with that child, taking care of that child. Now, hopefully there's a support system. Hopefully there's a dad. Hopefully there's a doctor. Hopefully there's the other components that are there, the educators, things like that. But so often we see women uh, serving, you know, in all of those roles in someone's life. Uh, to, to care for one another, to, you know, help their husbands, to help their children, to help out society as a whole. But oftentimes, unfortunately, we've seen this all too often uh, in the United States and Honduras around the world, that, that women as a, a group of people in society uh, can simply be marginalized, can simply be overlooked, can, in, in worst case scenarios, be hurt and abused. Um, And even sometimes in better case scenarios, like I said, just marginalized. And so for Connect Global in Honduras, we have tried to be very intentional about caring for the society and the community as a whole, Uh, whether that's pastors or whether that's homeless people, whether that's men or whether that's women, and really trying to be very intentional about caring for women because we know that as we can strengthen and empower and encourage and activate and uh build up and and really encourage the women there in honduras that we see um man generations of impact that 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 causes so at the hospital specifically uh at the hospital atlantica in La state a very big very busy hospital um they they deliver about there's about a hundred babies a week more or less every single week delivered at this hospital. 5,500 new births a year, about 76,000 total patients a year at this hospital. I mean, it's a busy place. And a lot of these patients, again, are brand new moms delivering a brand new baby. Because of the poverty in this country and because of the rurality in which a lot of these mothers live in a, in a very rural environment and then traveling into the hospital to deliver, many of the babies are born premature because in many cases the mom is uh undernourished malnourished during pregnancy so then when the baby is born premature there's a nicu for the baby to grow and put on some weight before making the journey back home but in many cases there's no place for the mother and so these moms will literally sleep on a tile floor outside of the nicu waiting for their baby to be healthy enough to take that child back home and You know we all listen to that statement we listen to that reality that this morning there were probably or there were definitely somewhere between eight to 18 mothers who woke up on that tile floor this morning and we hear that as a reality and say oh man how terrible and then on the other side we say of course they did that because they're mothers They're mothers, and they're not going to leave their child. They love their child. They're dedicated to that child. They're going to be there and take care and care for that child. And we're simply saying as an organization and as a community, we want to step in and help them help their child, caring for their child. And so the hospital came to us and asked us if we would build this house, and we responded with, absolutely, absolutely we'll do this. Because we want to provide a place for these mothers as a group of people to be able to have a safe and comfortable place where they can still be on hospital property, still take care of their child, still be there with their child as their child is going through these first few days of life, trying to get healthy enough to just get back home, but also make sure that the moms are taken care of in this setting. And you know, this is an opportunity for us to really care for, like I said, a group of moms. These are moms who come in, they'll spend you know, three days to as much as maybe two weeks in this house at the hospital, and we're working on making sure that this house gets built properly and is comfortable and is safe, and that there's a staff person inside the house to be able to care for the moms and and you know share with them encouragement and love and maybe practical stuff like food and clothes and things like that that the mother may need, and that way when she goes back home, she's had opportunity to hear the gospel, she's had opportunity to hear about Jesus, she's had opportunity to get some food, to get some clothes, to get some comfort and some encouragement, and a safe place to, to lay her head at night so that she can then uh, do all that she needs to do and wants to do in caring for her child. On the other hand, at the same time, we have opportunity right now uh, that, that uh, you shared about it in that last conversation of helping Maria. So here's an individual mom. Here's a single mom who is, you know, like I just said, single mom. She's by herself, she's caring for her kids, and she's had some health challenges, and she's had some home challenges. You know, her house, uh, the, 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 if you can call it, that the dwelling that she was living in was just not a very good place. And uh, so that situation was brought to our attention, and we were just able to step in and be a part of helping her uh, really uh, stabilize that structure, solidify that structure and build a home for her so that she herself has a home. And so for us, whether it's for one individual mom that we're going to help Maria in, in her situation or it's this group of moms who are coming to the hospital, we just want to be a part of encouraging the women of Honduras that, hey, you know, God has created you and God loves you and he gives dignity into your life so that you are strengthened and encouraged and empowered and activated to care for the next generation of Hondurans. So that we start to see things like what we just talked about, violence coming down and, and economics going up and uh, gang activity going down and and uh, philanthropy and, and community care and things like that on the rise. And we're starting to see those shifts and those changes. And we believe that that happens as mothers, as well as fathers, as well as young people, every part of society. But as we see these mothers and these women start giving themselves and dedicating themselves to God and to their community. So that has just been a great honor for us to be a part of projects project like this in helping uh, lift the whole community um, and really just serve the whole community through the gospel of, of Jesus.
0: Man, that's so exciting uh, to be a part of. And I know that um, like what we've done from day one is just sort of, you know, focus on, hey, what's going to make the biggest impact? You know, what's going to be able to change the most lives and and really, uh, you know, create something going towards the future? Uh, And I think this maternity home is going to, you know, be one of the best uh, uses of that, you know, going to be one of the best examples of that, um, you know, where we're going to have opportunity every single day, you know, like you said, um, and we keep kind of reiterating, you know, is a very busy hospital. uh, And so they're introducing new children there every single day. Uh, And so this morning, they're going to be new babies that uh, very soon are going to be able to be, uh, you know, their moms will be able to find rest in this maternity home and be able to be there. Um, and our volunteers and team members, as as we bring those in uh, to the maternity home, will be able to influence every single day a new generation of Hondurans and a new generation of world changers and a new generation of of children who are going to feel the love of Jesus Christ on day one. You know, and to me, that's a very impactful uh, opportunity that we have to be able to influence the new generation of Honduras uh, there and hopefully be a part of. Uh, really everything that's, uh, that is coming out of Honduras positive and, and really try and highlight and showcase that um, because that's what we're all about is we're trying to make sure that people know uh, that there is good things going on in this place. Um, and as we uh, plan to hold influence and, and, and influence this new generation, I want to ask our question of the day uh, for you listeners. And if anybody's uh, catching this podcast, we're asking you as well. So you can leave a comment below or you can email us out or, or if you're listening here on Anchor, uh, where we're creating this podcast, you can call in and leave a comment there as well. But who is an influential woman or who has been an influential woman in your life, who's somebody you look up to or, or have spent time, uh, you know, just just uh, experiencing their, their life uh, in, in your life and, and who is it that would you would say has been an influence in your life?
1: Um, man, that's a great question and, uh, you know, this may sound um, like the obvious but I gotta go with my mom. Um, certainly, there's been a lot of influential uh, women in my life. My wife is, a, is an amazing woman and has been very influential in my life. I've had many great teachers Um, But I'm gonna go with my mom on this as a huge influencer in my life, not just because she raised me, but my mother has set an example all of her life as a missionary. You know, she travels into prisons around the world. She travels into prisons in Texas uh, from the ripe young age of 12 years old. She felt in her heart that God was calling her to be a missionary. And she has really given herself fully to that. Even at times when situations might have been scary uh, or intimidating to her, she has really stepped out um, boldly and been an example to me and to a lot of other people of just reaching into the world selflessly and sharing the gospel. You know, she's been in, in prisons in the United States. She's been in prisons in Mexico. She's been in prisons in Jamaica. I mean, she's been she's kind of been around the world in some of the toughest environments that you could possibly imagine. And she does that with grace and with posture and with uh, excitement and encouragement and a sense of warmth and positivity that is just unprecedented. And uh, so I have really admired the example that she has set for me in my life. Um, to just give myself fully to the gospel and fully to people and just share the love of Jesus with them. How about for yourself? Who has been a significant, influential woman in your life?
0: Man, that's great. And first of all, I can absolutely attest that Miss Betty Moffat is a very influential and very uh, you know, encouraging and empowering uh, woman. Um, you know, And, and just to kind of hitchhike on that, You know, she in her own right is a minister and in her own right is, uh, you know, a a large part of the ministry uh, of which your, your mom and dad founded. So I just want to give a shout out to her because everywhere she goes, people love her and adore her and she has amazing words to share an amazing story and message to share. And also goes and does a wonderful job when she's asked you know a lot of times she doesn't put herself out there um, because she is just running the business of of the ministry and running the admin part of it so she won't just kind of go thrust herself out to the microphone but every time I've heard her speak uh, you know she's full of wisdom full of character Um, she's hilarious when she's talking Um, and I remember specifically one uh, last year uh, I believe it was when we took them to La Saba, they, they uh, did a segment of marriage seminars, which is what they're, they're known for uh, here in the Texas prisons, but they also do them in churches and in other formats. Um, and so they did a segment of their mission semin- of their marriage seminar there uh, in La Saba. And I remember th- just observing the audience, which was a full house that night. Uh, almost everyone was on the edge of their seat. No one was looking at their phone. No one was looking at the clock. And quite honestly your mom and dad talked for quite a long time but everybody was on the edge of their seat listening and a large part of that was the authenticity and the realness that your mom shares and to me I've always enjoyed that part of of their ministry but especially that part of your mom's ministry where she is as real as it gets and just shares you know what God has put it in her heart to share which is her life her story and so to me I've always appreciated that so I definitely can second and attest uh, to how influential, uh, Miss Betty Moffat has been. Uh, and so for me, of course, uh, you know, my answer is going to be pretty similar. My mom uh, was the very first force in my life. Of course, uh, the very first influential, uh, life spring for me. And so to me, what I look back on is remembering being a kid, um, at every age. I mean, I, there's not a memory that I have growing up, um uh, you know, from as early as I can remember to, you know, graduating high school, uh, where my mom was involved in church, she was involved in volunteering, she was involved in missions, Um, she gave to missions, she always was, uh, you know, at the forefront of whatever outreach arm was in our lives at that time, whether it was through the church or through our own personal lives. Um, But I also remember specifically, uh, her working uh, for a Women's shelter. So this was a, you know, an abuse uh, shelter where where they would take in women who, you know, were just right in the midst of being abused by their domestic partners or by their husbands. And at that time was still a little bit taboo. Um, I mean, even now it, it's kind of hard to talk about in the news and the media. But I think the movements of last year, um, you know, the hashtags that have come up, you know, those, some of those things have kind of brought to light some of the abuse and some of the marginalization that. Women do go through on a daily basis, um, but my mom was at the forefront of that in the town that we lived in, and you know, being able to see my mom, who I perceive and have always seen as a strong, uh, you know, woman of you know of, of character, but um, just a strong personality, um, see her, you know, care for these women and, and really take care of some of these women at their very, very, very most vulnerable state. Um, I got to witness that from every age. Like I said, I got to, um, you know, actually go with her to certain cases where, you know, she was going to go pull a woman from their house because she was being abused in the moment. So I've been on some of those runs with her. I volunteered. Um, all of my volunteer time that I did as a kid was at, uh, you know, the shelter or at their distribution center or at the donation collection centers. Um, I was just around that world a lot. And so I have an utmost respect for, um, of course, women who've gone through that, you know, and, and, you know, hurt, and my heart breaks for women who've experienced that trauma and that pain. But I have an utmost respect for the workers and for the people who care for uh, those most vulnerable people in our country and, you know, and around the world. But I saw my mom truly put, you know, herself aside, you know, put our, you know, her own sort of. Uh, Needs sometimes aside so that she could care for and provide the needs of some of these women and some of these people who You know I remember times where we would take care of them in our house Or she would buy a plane ticket or a bus ticket out of town or she would definitely do whatever it took to Make sure that these women knew that there was someone that cared for them and to me that's impacted my life and will impact my life for the rest of my life but it, I definitely know, impacted my life and influenced me into the work that I now do through Connect Global and through some of the other volunteer opportunities I've had um, because I saw that. I saw how selfless she was. I saw how, uh, you know, caring she was. And it's not a huge, thank you know, thankful job. It's not, you know, like she was getting awards all the time. You know, it's not that type of work. Um, it's just grinding every single day, providing you know, it was her her actual, you know, provisional work that she did for our family, but also it fed something in her to be able to be a part of uh, of that world. So to me, I think it also just gave her an opportunity to give back, uh, you know, in that in that uh, time period. And so to me, that has impacted me for a lifetime. Uh, and I've seen how strong she's had to be in certain situations. And so to me, that's of course my first and foremost. Uh, influential person in my life, and of course now, since being married for 12 years, uh, my beautiful wife, who we just heard in the segment today, uh, is also of course a force to be reckoned with, and she uh, encourages me every day and teaches me something new every day. But to me, just observing how she handles herself in certain situations and and through heartbreaking situations, you know, things that have happened in her life and And things that have happened you know in our life together and so to me i just i see her as one of the strongest women that i've ever met and ever come across and to see her when she's in her element and when she is able to uh, travel with us on some of these trips has just been amazing as well so she of course is a strong influence uh, not only just keeping me in line but also influencing and encouraging me to uh, continue the work that we all started together so she is also of course an amazing uh, you know woman that I would attribute uh, a lot of the influence of my life to um, So we want to hear from you We want to hear who it is that has influenced you in your life Who is it that has given you the empowerment or encouraged you in some way who's really promoted you from day one? Uh, let us hear about that. Who is the woman in your life that has given you? Uh, the life that you have now in some way and we want to hear either your comments or your call-ins. Uh, You can also comment. We'll post this on our website. So if you're, you're, you know, catching it here on our website, just scroll down a little bit. There is a comment box there and you can drop a line there. So as always, we thank you for joining us here for this episode of Founders Corner on The Connection Podcast. We hope you have a great week.